You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. What's up, Clapback Culture? Welcome to another Thursday episode. Here we are live and in the flesh over all of the platforms, all the social media platforms. What's up? I'm teamed up with my boy, Big O. Big O, what's up? Julia, Jesse, what's happening, man? You know, I said this this week in between these shows goes fast, huh? Oh, yeah. See, you just, you know, you getting back into the groove of things. You like, dang, it's Thursday again. It's Thursday, and we've been in motion on this side, by the way, because you know it's Portland Hip Hop Week. So I've actually been going back and forth between Seattle and Portland. Base is down there living her best life, by the way. She's been down in Portland since Saturday and don't come back till Sunday. Shout out to Basa living her best life. I see I see Queen is doing her thing. I saw some posts that she put on Facebook. Uh, She went and did like a social media panel and all of this stuff she's just thriving i, I love that for her I, i'll just say this here real quick tonight is the hip-hop wine and chill so she's actually at a winery there <laughs> right outside of portland i ain't know there was hip-hop wine and chill but that's where she at man that sounds that's like totally up my alley a hip-hop wine and chill i'm here for that mm. what you got for us today julia Man, I got so much that, you know, it look, it only takes a week and there's some big things popping. Your boy, President Joe Biden, is cashing in on some campaign promises, y'all. He finally came through and announced on Wednesday that he and his administration will be canceling $10,000 in federal student loan debt and $20,000 for federal borrowers who have debts for the Pell Grant. So now I know you guys are asking a bunch of questions on eligibility. How do I qualify? All of those things. So we might as well talk money. So here's the big answers to the big three questions. Who will get the loan? Okay, who qualifies for the loan? Well, the administration is saying that individuals with federal student loans who make under $125,000 per year or couples who earn collectively $250,000 a year qualify for the $10,000 in forgiveness. Individuals with federal student loans who make under $125,000 and the same for couples 250 who also have uh, the the Pell Grants, they'll qualify for that $20,000. There's also something in there, you guys, for parents, because I know a lot of parents had the Parent Plus loans, my mom included. Um, Those were the federal loans for parents who um, helped borrowers Uh, qualify for those loans, they also can take advantage of this if their loans are taken out, as long as their loan is not taken after June 30th of this year. Okay. Um, So how do you apply? Right now, the White House is saying there is no particular way. There's no application, if you will. Um, But in order for borrowers to benefit Um, you will eventually submit an application and they'll verify your income kind of thing. And they'll just go in and erase the file. They are encouraging borrowers to go to um, that studentaid.gov and, you know, log in. You can go to the debt relief announcement and follow all of those searches on there and find it. Um, Yeah, you guys, this is this is pretty good. I went through and logged into my student aid 
and looked at my loan debt and I said, okay, the Pell Grant is giving your girl owns 11,000, but child, that student loan debt is in the 70,000. So I'm like a $10,000, that ain't really making much of a smack in the face, Amari. I don't know about you, but I'll take the 10, I'll take the 20, but it ain't much when it's hitting at 80. and there it is i think that what's unfortunate is that we always sold a false bill of goods and that you know i mean this is just biden being biden fam you know what i'm saying it's it's like yeah that that seems like around something biden would do like yeah we got ten thousand for you Although, you know, during the the campaign and everything, it was like, you know, how could how could they do something transformational around student debt? Um, You know, and that's the thing is like, what's going to be transformational? I don't see nothing transformational. Uh, I mean, yeah, 10,000. I mean, you know, sneeze at it. I'm sure it'll come in handy somewhere through there or anything else. Um, And I guess it's better to do something than nothing. But it's it's not the transformational whatever around student loans and really just the way that we pay for college in America that I think a lot of people expected. I, I agree with your point in that there has to be something done to the broken system. I mean, because when you go to college and, you know, you're like us, you're coming straight out the hood. We we also, you know, don't have a lot of financial literacy. So we're going in. And you're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, just signing away your life to all these loans. And, you know, you look at it and it's like, okay, there's $3,500 here to go to this, you know, stay in school this semester, $5,000 here and there. Then you look up and you are, you know, $31,000 in interest, $80,000 in loans, $12,000 in grants. And you don't even know what to do with all of that. Right. And so. We have to think of a better way um, to encourage students to continue to get their education. I know a lot of the younger generation under me is like, I don't want to go to school because I don't want to have to pay all that student loan debt. So, um, you know, this yeah. is like, the way. What do you got? To, what do you have to say, though, to all these people on the other side of this issue who are hot? Like, man, I pay my debt. These guys need to pay theirs or, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there, there's a lot of pushback around this program. I don't want to tell them. I I pay my private student loans in full transparency. I pay my private student loans. I absolutely cannot afford to pay my federal student loans. And so I don't care what it does to my credit at this point, because I can't sign up to add another payment into my lifestyle. It's just not going to work like that. I would be drowning um, in student loan debt, but I do pay my private student loans. And I'm like, all right, once I go there, then maybe I can tackle something else. I mean, it is what it is. If you were able to pay your student loans, then you were able to pay them. But there's a lot of guys like me that just can't do it. You know what I'm saying? And when I graduated, we were in the the, the heart of a, a recession. You know, we, we didn't have anything rolled out. These kids who are just graduating, they're graduating on the toes of COVID and in all of, you know, the world kind of changing. So it's too expensive and you're not prepared as a 23, 24 year old graduate to start paying three or four hundred dollars a month in student loans on top of, you know, six to eight percent inflation. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I, I would say this, that I think that we might want to look at or, or rethink how we we pay for education in our country. 
because at the end of the day, we're, we're better off as a country overall, the more educated that we are. Right. But it's like the cost of education and higher education, you know, it still creates this situation to where, you know, there's an underclass in our society. Right. And I mean, where if it's, it's just crazy because it's, if you look at how other countries and I don't like really comparing us to other countries because, you know, we're us, but, you know, what people put your budget is a physical representation of your values, right? And if we valued education more in our country, then we would figure out things differently. But you know what I'm saying? We keep education in a space, higher education in a space, almost so the haves and have nots. Absolutely. Well, we can talk more in depth about this topic topic on and on so we'll move we'll move forward you guys but i see y'all in the comments chiming in and and shout out to everybody you know who's taking advantage of this again it is a drop in the bucket but everybody who is eligible should apply go ahead and get that get that dough cheese all right well let's wake it up a little bit uh earlier this week an unfortunate situation happened in midtown atlanta with an atlanta shooting um a suspect was uh, shot four different individuals. Two of them did die. Um, one was left injured and the other actually um, was just, I guess, held at gunpoint, if you will. But this is such a bizarre situation that I had to try to put the pieces together. We do have a video clip. Um, let's run that and we'll come back and talk about it. Let's bring in 11 Live's Ariana Manise now to continue our team coverage. Ariana, you're live in Midtown Force this morning where this all unfolded. What can you tell us about the alleged suspect? Well, Aisha and Shira, there's still a lot to learn about the deadly shooting that happened here in Midtown, like the suspect's name, which police have not yet confirmed and a motive. Now take a look at your screen. We have video of the moments that the suspect was taken into custody at the Atlanta airport after an hours long search. Now, although police, they haven't determined a motive, documents they are revealing both victims were among more than a dozen named in a job discrimination lawsuit filed by the suspect earlier this summer. Now, it's one of two lawsuits that the suspect is a part of against the building management company of 1280 West where the shooting occurred. Now, the suspect claims to be a whistleblower and that the company and managers named in this lawsuit violated her civil rights. But as of right now, police are not saying how the suspect knew the victims, but they do believe the victims were targeted. And police say as of right now, they will release the suspect's name at the appropriate time, as this will be the center of their investigation. Back to you. All right, y'all. So again, 34-year-old Kenye, um, she apparently had a bunch of different lawsuits out on the property management company. Um, she also had some grievances um, at her job. So it looked like she went to uh, the, man the, the management office at the 1280 West Condominium Building where she was a resident for about five years. Um, and she shot two different individuals there. Uh, she left that scene and then went to her employer um, and killed her direct supervisor, who was 41-year-old Wesley Freeman, who we saw, which is such a tragedy um, and a loss to his family. Um, after that, she was able to flee the scene. Uh, she called the taxi driver that she knew, and that is how the police were able to apprehend her um, because of dispatch. And so the cab driver, um, who is also from the same um, country that she's from, 
was getting uh, some calls on the radio about her being in the back seat. And he dropped her off the airport where she was subsequently handed over to police. I guess she was trying to catch an international flight and get out of there. Um, on her public LinkedIn page, uh, she posted some fiery messages the day before the shooting, um, really just condemning the, the building management um, and all of those things. She wrote complaints um, stemming from the case and alleged fraud involving her former employer. So there's a whole bunch of things um, that kind of wrap into this. Again, too many lives being lost to that. Um, but I, I just don't know what to make of this. I mean, how this is, this is, I mean, I don't know what to make. I don't know how to make sense of this. Well, for, first of all, I'll say it's like, yeah, it's, it's a tragedy for sure. Second of all, I follow ATL Scoop on Instagram. Me too. <laughs> my, my daughter lives down there in Atlanta. And unfortunately, man, stuff like this is like commonplace in Atlanta and a lot of places across the country. I mean, of course, this crime is unique, but, you know, it's man, it's just it's a lot of violence. But, yo, <clears throat> so like. I mean, like following what she said, she's like, yo, somebody broke into my safe in my house and they took, uh, you know, this evidence that I had of a cover up of this and that and everything else. Sound like a lot going on, man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, come on, like if your property management is that bad, like most people just move, you know, um, to, to go and, and to start shooting. And I looked I looked at her, uh, her LinkedIn. Did you see her LinkedIn? I didn't. I didn't pull up to her LinkedIn. Uh -huh. No, LinkedIn is like, you know, somebody you just bump into every day. Man, that, that makes me think twice about people I meet off LinkedIn. You know I, what I'm saying? Listen, and that, and that was the most interesting thing about all of this is that she's very normal. You know what I mean? Like she's the average. She is not your usual suspect. I will say that. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is with today. <clears throat> I think you could probably stereotype the the the, the typical sub uh, you know uh, uh, perpetrator years ago, but it's like today it really is the person who was like just goes to work every day, pays their taxes, hey this and that. Those is the ones going ham, yo. She's thirty four years old. She's my age. I mean, you're like you said. I mean, you're you're you you're that mad. Not only are you that mad, but you have made all these allegations that someone has come into your house, broke into your safe. How does somebody even break into your safe and steal documents? I mean, I just don't think people are that invested. Um, she filed you know, complaints that uh, the property management company was withholding her mail and she was receiving letters from Georgia Power, who she also had a lawsuit against. So it's giving very much like delusional right like this is not the average course that someone would take um to s resolve their grievances if you don't like your job you quit and you get a new one if you if you're if you feel like someone's stealing from you at your property you move out and you move somewhere else so i she i mean she comes from an african background and what i mean Cameroon. And listen, I'm telling you, the Cameroon community is up in flames, baby. You know how it goes. 
They are, I'm telling you, they Yo. know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Even the cab driver knew her from back home. Yeah, the, the taxi driver, I, I saw the video. The taxi driver was like, hey, uh, have you done anything? Uh, is everything yeah. okay? Is, is anyone mad at you? She's like, no, I'm just chilling. Take me to the airport. She just smoked like, you know what I'm saying? She shot like four people. She's like, no, it's no problem. Everything is cool. He's like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, it's all good. And then wow. she hit him with this, though. Oh, she hit him with the, nah, you're safe. Oh, yeah, you're safe. <laughs> she was like, nah, you're safe. You're like, <laughs> and he was like, well, and then, but he opened, I mean, he kind of broke character and was like, listen, all these calls are about you. Like, yeah, hey, I thought when he said that. that. I thought it was going to get funky up in the cab, to be honest with you. I'm like, ooh. Listen, I mean, he's lucky it didn't get spicy in his cab, but I don't know. Listen, more should unfold in this story, you guys. I, you know, I, this is, again, I can't wrap my mind around it. So, listen, another big win in court, you guys, was uh, Kobe Bryant's wife, you guys. She won $16 million or was awarded, if you will, the $16 million in the trial over those crash photos we talked about. Uh, the federal jury um, said that the Los Angeles County must pay her, okay, uh, for emotional distress caused by deputies and firefighters sharing those photos of the bodies of her husband and her deceased daughter. Uh, her co-plaintiff, Chris Chester, he lost his wife and daughter also in the helicopter crash. Their photos also were circulated. He was awarded $15 million. Again, some individuals said that this was a cash grab. For a woman, um, you know, like Vanessa Bryant, obviously she's not in it for a cash grab. You know, her statement was that she did this um for her husband and her daughter and so and to hold people accountable for their actions so i um i salute her um an attorney for the county declined to comment after the courtroom um but you guys i mean this is this is what happens when you do malicious things like this on the job and so they took advantage of an opportunity uh to uh, go viral or have these kind of images and and really did something malicious with this. And so I'm glad that she took this all the way uh, to court and she was awarded those damages. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like, man, let's, let's be clear. Somehow some people be trying to make it seem like the profession of police is a protected class somewhere, man. It's still a profession. You know what I'm saying? I mean, even like in the military, people have an expectation of code of conduct. People, People just want to wave someone in America and just be like, oh, since it's the police, they do nothing wrong. Man, come on, dog. Like, is you serious? And so what, what happened here is somebody who had means for justice was able to use the means. I wish somebody here who it was banked up like like uh, like she is would take these jokers here to civil court over what they did in the Seattle protest, how they sat there and lied on the, got on the radios and said that the Proud Boys was on the way, caused all this. I mean, you know what I'm saying? These guys, that's what I'm, this is people who had the means to get get some reciprocity or in court, they would say some relief. They were able to get some relief because they had the money and these people are gonna think twice now about how they had, this is what I'm saying. The same people who was here in Seattle who sat there and, and ran all this, 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 and co-intel and misinformation and everything else during the Seattle protests, all those officers were able to leave and go get hired by another police force. 
You know what I'm saying? Because there wasn't our, our oversight here was weak. The OPA, they got ran over. You know what I'm saying? As usual, the police here have a much stronger contract. Spa got the contract. The OPA, the oversight is watered down. So nobody's accountable, you know? And so, yeah, score one for the people. When somebody actually got the bread to go to court, you know what I'm saying? And and, and take their case to court and get paid. It wasn't about the money. I, you know what I'm saying? I think it was about holding people accountable. And if you got the means, because it takes money to hold the police accountable, they had the means to do it. Good for them. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more on all of those points. I mean, if you do the crime, you need to be held accountable for it. And like you said, nobody should be above the law, not even the police um, or first responders in this case. Um so, Amari, I want to get your opinion on this next story. This is spicy and crazy. Uh, Mississippi School District is announcing the return of corporal punishment, you guys, for students through paddle use. Can you believe this? It may be hard to believe, but back in the day, you know, schools did have the authority to physically discipline children. Well, they're bringing it back. They're running it back, you guys. And they're saying that this is going to be a form of punishment that if all else fails, they want to be able to paddle your kids. And so the school superintendent, uh, her name is Merle Johnson. She spoke out about, you know, the concern that some parents had about this because, of course, there's going to be some pushback. Well, she says this. She says corporal punishment will be used only when the other means of discipline have failed and then only in, in a reasonable form when the principal approves it. Uh, they went on to further uh, note that administrators stated that they don't believe that corporal punishment will be used very often, but when it is used, it will be by an administrator only in the presence of another school district employee. Ciao. I don't know about this. I know some of these kids are off the hook, but I don't want nobody else whooping my baby. I don't know. Amari, what you say? You a father, father of three? Yeah, man. Have you been to some of these? Some of these kids is up the goddamn wall, man. I know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it's unfortunate. Let's just be clear. It's unfortunate that a lot of kids that are in school, the only time that they ever see any discipline is in school. You know what I'm saying? And and the teachers catch hell. Could them kids be like, my mama don't even tell me what to do. How are you gonna tell me what to do? My daddy don't tell me what to do. You know, I man, what? It's man, it's wild. And I mean, the, the thing is, is we've now put our teachers in a position of catch all. The teachers have to catch all, man. The teachers have to catch. You know what I'm saying? They have to deal with if the kid might might have issues in the home. If the, these kids are malnutrition, if they're not, you know what I'm saying? If nobody's at home helping them with their, their stuff, you got to be on the lookout for abuse. You got to be on the lookout. Like, man, the teachers is it's a lot going on. And I mean, I got some issues with corporal punishment in Mississippi of all places. Like, eh, I'm not, I'm not really feeling that per se, but all I am saying is that on a larger issue of discipline in schools, unfortunately, we got a lot of young people who have never had no kind of discipline ever. I mean, if you was to go home with them and I've been home with a few of them, I mean, it's like they run the house. You know what I'm saying? They don't knock on nobody's door. They just walk in. They take this. They do this. They do that. And I'd be like, man, who's running this home here? So, I mean, if people feel that way at home, imagine how they feel at school. I don't know, whooping on them in Mississippi. We was just down there in Mississippi. And, I, you know, so I got some real concerns about that. 
but I do know that, that our educators face a challenge with these young people. Well, I'm looking in the comments and Maggie and, and, and our, you know, our, our crew is bringing up a lot of heavy points. One, is this going to be used fairly? Like, are we thinking about when we think about the, the disbursement of discipline? Are we thinking about our black boys who are normally targeted for bad behavior uh, when really they just need a different kind of learning style or something like that? Um, so are we going to be targeting different kids that we don't like? I mean, teachers will build a bias, you know, against a child that they don't like, especially, you know, these kids can be petty. OK, and they talk back and they do this and that. And so it can be a lot. And so I think we're asking so much of our teachers to step into a role of a guardian or a parent um, or even just a family member. We're asking so much. When, you know, you and I had a discussion last week about parents really needing to step up and be better parents. I don't think adding the use of paddles to discipline children in school is going to change their overall behavior. There has to be something that's a deeper root to it. Um, if kids go to school and they start getting whooped on, they're probably just going to stop going to school. But Are they going to come back with a strap? Or they're going to come back and shoot the school up. Right. Yeah, and, then, and then think about being the, the administrator who has to actually implement the use of the paddle. Like, I don't want to be in that position. Like, you don't take a job being like, I got to actually whoop some ass today. Like, I didn't sign up for that. You know what I'm saying? So I, I don't know. I hear you guys in the comments. Um, I think that's dang. To be honest with you, these days, I think that's dangerous. This isn't, you know, corporal punishment was was put in place, it was a different environment. And, you know, it wasn't the school shootings, it wasn't this and that. I mean, an educator has a real, it's a real, real uh, concern about somebody coming for him, like for real, you know, this isn't, this isn't, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, man. I mean, you, you sit there and paddle this kid, these kids might come back for you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just different now. And, and so, parents. yeah, I don't, uh-huh. I'm saying, and the parents might come back for you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, here's the thing. It's like the administrator's like, hey, uh, Jules, you know, your daughter's in class today. You know, she received a paddle. You know, we used the paddle on her today. Got that bad. You know, I'm pulling up to work and I'm, it, you know, she comes home and her, you know, her ass is all lit up. It's, you know, it's just, there's just too many things that can go wrong. I don't see how this will be physically possible. Maybe they are just implementing this new rule or this policy to scare kids so that that is just a form of discipline that's on the table, but they never actually implement it. I don't know. That maybe be the case to kind of keep some kids in line. But again, kids do need discipline um, and they need more structure. And I think especially coming off the heels of COVID and things being different and more relaxed, we have to tighten up as parents, as a village, as a community to make sure that we implement a stronger structure for kids to know that this is the way things are going to roll because students right now can be lazy if you let them, right? They can be disrespectful if you let them, but it takes people saying, that's not cool. This is not how you speak to somebody. You know, we need to go back to the, you know, having more manor manners, having more discipline and, and really utilizing all of our resources as a collective and saying, actually, we're not doing that, you know, and, and stopping that stuff at, at the root and, and seeing what that root causes. 
and calling parents to the table and saying, actually, you need to do something about your child. You know, what is going on at home where, you know, they're being so disruptive or they're clowning around or they're doing this because it's a lot of stress on teachers. You know, I've seen teachers single out kids because they just don't like them. And that has, you know, that's not the way to go either. So we have to have some more roundtable conversations. We got to implement some more services. We need to open up these rec centers, bring back these mentors, fund some programs so kids can be outside of the house to get the mentors and the, the leadership that they need, especially if they're not getting it at home with their families. Yeah, no, I hear you 100 percent. And, and uh, I know you got break coming up. So I would just say this is that every time. So Brandon Hersey is now the school board president here in the city of Seattle. And even when he was a director and even when he was running for that special position, uh, when it first opened up, I always say it's because people are like, oh, the, the teachers, the this and that. And I'd be like, man, y'all got to hold these parents accountable. Why don't you, why don't you guys be doing some parent uh, attendance? You know what I'm saying? Like, who's accountable? Like, we can't we be ready to show up when our kid gets suspended or this and that and call out the school, but it'd be interesting to be like, how many times have you been to the school before that? Mm. Have you even looked at your kids' syllabus? You mm. know what I'm saying? Do mm. you even know your kids' teachers' names? Do you check for the for you know their homework? And so yeah, I just it's a it's a big issue at school because you know we got a lot of we have unfortunately not a lot. There's definitely a percentage of, of parents who are just, man, they're on autopilot and they're letting the, the, the schools basically are raising the kids. Well, when we come back, because we do need to take a quick break, when we come back, we're going to be talking about Nick Cannon. He's expecting baby number 10. Somebody Hello. needs to talk about the responsibility of that good black man. OK, you're watching Clapback Culture. Stay tuned. Guess what, you guys? Portland Hip Hop Week is August 20th through 27th, and Converge Media is proud to be an official partner. Of course, it's your buddy Basil Gordon here, and you already know the Converge team is literally going to head south on I-5 to celebrate hip-hop culture in the Rose City. Portland Hip Hop Week is literally jam-packed with dope events, including the Hip Hop Skate Party, hosted by DJ OG1, Hip Hop Wine and Chill at the Abbey Creek Winery. There's also a DJ workshop hosted by Grand Wizard, Theodore, and let's not forget Portland Hip Hop Week's biggest night, the 2022 Star Wars. And this year, they're celebrating women in hip hop. You can get more information by visiting bdxhiphopweek.com. And of course, you can head over to my blog at jamming1075.com. Just search BASA. Hey there, it's Trey Holiday. And of course, Besa and I had to take a trip back to Market Street Shoes to grab some items. They always know what to show us. And let me tell you, we both spent quality time to be sure we collected some amazing additions to our wardrobes. They have some of the most unique bags, shoes, and accessories. I mean, the whole shebang. It's always a good time when I get to shop with my girl, Basa. Make sure you go check out Market Street Shoes, y'all, and you too can walk out with some dope gear. Basically, fam, believe in giving. Like, we have to be willing to give more. And people seem to always think giving means money. But nah, bro. It's like you can give time. You can give understanding. You can give access. You can give a listening ear and an open heart. You can give and share your God-given gifts and talents. But you just got to give.
All right, y'all, welcome back to Clap Back Culture. We wouldn't be clapping back if we didn't do it for the culture. So here we are, you guys, with some hot tea that is spilling. Your boy, Nick Cannon, and one of his baby mothers, Brittany Bell, are expecting their third child, his number 10. Okay, now listen, you guys know I have given a lot of criticism to this in the past because I just don't get it. I don't understand it. It's just a whole new way of life, honey. Um, so I decided to give you guys a breakdown of the timeline, okay? So just so y'all can know that this is baby number 10, I can tell you who the baby mamas are in the timeline and all of this. And Santana, you're right, Nick Cannon does need to be stopped, but he's saying it's not an issue. So you guys know he married the queen, Mariah Carey, and they celebrated their first children. They had twins in April, 2011. That's Monroe in Morocco, okay, that's two. Then we have Brittany Bell, who he's now expecting his third baby with, but he had his first baby in February 2017, Golden, and then Powerful with her in 2020. So now here it is, 2022 baby, and they're about to have another baby. Okay, Abby De La Rosa, that's that DJ. She's real pretty, real cute. They have twins, Zion and Zillin. Okay, she is also pregnant and she's expecting their baby in October. Okay, so he got two girls pregnant right now at the same time, but that's not new for Nick Cannon. Okay, they're they're about this life. So that's six, seven, eight kids. Okay, so let's keep the count. We're at count number eight. Okay, um, and with the two on the way, he also had a baby with Alyssa Scott. And um, they had their baby in June 2021, um, a baby boy named Zen. But Zen tragically passed away five months after being born to brain cancer. Even though the baby has passed, we're still going to count that because, of course, he had life and we will breathe life into that. Um, he also just celebrated the birth of Brie Tessie um, um, uh, with Brie Tessie, you guys. OK. And they just had legendary a baby boy this year in July, okay? And to add to on the 10, they also did the announcement with Brie um, in January, 2022, which is a month after Zen passed away. So, child, somebody need to, to, somebody needs to tell Nick Cannon to stop it. So here's what he said, oh, and you, you can keep him on the screen, Cuddy. In an interview on, on with Angela Yee, he told them, he told the girls on there that he was going to practice celibacy, but after Zen passed away, he went into this depression and all his baby mothers felt like the one thing that would get him out of the depression was sex. And so he was lured in and he had sex and then he was just having so much sex. And now here he is with two, ba two additional babies on the way. <laughs> uh, all right so is this is this irresponsible is this like how like what do we make of this i think eddie murphy has 10 kids too but um you know i, I think eddie murphy has 10 kids too all right so culturally speaking right there are other cultures in the world where um, you know, it, it's not frowned upon if if you have a lot of kids or even a lot of wives, as long as you take care of all of them. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there's there's a lot of cultures that are like, hey, 
You know, if you're taking care of all of your children equally or maybe even all of your wives equally, then, you know, it's accepted. Um, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. I, I think they, Nick's getting a lot of heat. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I would have went on Angela Yito and, and, and said all that. I mean, it's realistic. Maybe that that's how it went down. But like, you know, um, I think the thing is, too, is that, I mean, he's not done. He's, he's probably going to look for like 15 or 20. Nick Cannon definitely is not done. I can tell you that right now. And I agree that this is a different situation. Um, it's a non-traditional situation. But to your point, you know, in, in other countries and other cultures, if you will, you know, if you do have more than if you have multiple wives, should you be able to uh, take care of them in the same manner, then things are fine. My only issue with this is that it just kind of it's like Nick Cannon's already a super busy guy. Like, how do you raise all of these kids, all nine of these kids that live in different households and things like that? I mean, obviously he has a lot of resources and things like that. I mean, I don't know. It to me, it just I just couldn't be a part of a dynamic like this. But the baby mothers, you know, it's kind of like a little village, you know, they uh support each other. Okay. Oh, so hold on, hold on. You left that part out there. So all these guys, they're they're like, yeah, it's all good. Like, like none of these guys not, they're not beefing with each other. It's not like a secret, you know what I'm saying? It's not like Listen, he already has kids with them. It's a, it's it's an arrangement. They're all they all subscribe to this. They say that they So well, he's not a player then. It isn't it isn't like he's no, just popping up somewhere and, and you know what I'm saying? And he lands in Seattle and the next thing you know, so and so shows up pregnant. He's he's got a situation going with these women. And, and particularly Brittany and Abby, right? Because he has a three piece with each of them. So it's like, he's still building a family between Brittany and Abby. So the two of them, you know, Mariah Carey didn't move on. Okay. Mm. Brittany and Abby are both pregnant right now at the same time. Alyssa lost her baby. So I don't know if they're planning to have another baby, but then we got Bree, who's the newest of the baby mothers that's in the mix, who only has one baby. So I mean, it's an interesting dynamic. It's it's only four. It's only four baby mothers at this point. It used to be five because I don't know where Alyssa stands in all of this now that their baby passed on. But he's juggling four baby mothers, so it's really only four households that he has to maintain. Yeah, that's that's only stuff you can do when you got money. Like that's <laughs> just to be clear. You know what I'm saying? First of all, if he was broke. Uh, yeah, it, it wouldn't even be going down. He wouldn't have got the opportunity to get to 10. You see what I'm saying? Like, you know, I mean, he got the opportunity to get to 10 because he got the resources. You know what's, what's where I call bullshit on all of this, though, is mm. Abby did an interview. Well, she was on Instagram Live, and she was like, you guys are really, like, you guys just don't understand, blah, 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 because people were in the comments like, would you still be with him if he was broke? And her response was, well, I was in a long-term relationship with somebody and we shared a studio apartment. We shared one car and we planned our meals together in X, Y, and Z. Girl, let me tell you, you did not have three kids with him, okay? You didn't have three kids with him. But she also admitted in the same Instagram live that, you know, there are perks to being with Nick Cannon, okay? And so a part of these perks, obviously, you know, she drives great cars. She lives in a beautiful house. 
Um, you know, and she has a, a full network. You know, Nick Cannon is extremely successful. Uh, so, you know, there's perks that come with this. But I mean, are you in a relationship with Nick? And are you OK that he like he clearly he goes to Britney's house and he goes to Bree's house and. Or does he have an ongoing is it sister wife vibes like i just wish people i wish they were a little bit more open about the arrangement why they got to be more open though i'm just i'm I just mean, saying you know, like listen they all they it, it's all these huge like gender reveals and baby showers and you know it's I'll all I think like money, money, you know, of course, money makes a lot of things, you know, happen and move. But I'm just like, bruh, bruh just got an amazing amount of bandwidth and capacity. So it's like, it's like me, man, I would never just be, I'd never be a good player because I'm like, man, I, I got to give all these people the same amount of attention and this, this, and that. And then, you know what I'm saying? I, I, man, it, it's difficult. So I'm just wondering, like, how bros even over able even to manage all of these relationships with these women. It ain't like somebody you can put on block or whatever on block. You got three kids. You know what I'm saying? So, so you know what I'm saying? You have to actively be involved in all of these relationships. I'm wondering how Brooke could even juggle all that, man. I mean, like, I'm good. One's enough for me. Four, five, Angie and kids. That's a well, lot. Bree, Bree spoke out to um, Entertainment Tonight, and she spoke on that. And she said, listen, it's not as it's not as difficult as you guys may think. Uh, basically, you just reach out to the assistant to make sure that whatever event you have is on the calendar. You tell him, you know, he needs to be here. And then, boom, X, Y, and Z, he's there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's logistics of showing up being somewhere. But like if so, I mean, I guess you're you're right when you say like more insight, because it's like, is this like a relationship or an arrangement? But it's also kind of like, are you really raising your kids or is it your or like how much time can you really raise your kids if you don't live in the same household with them? And then you have multiple households with different children. So there's only so much time in a day. And so that's I bet you none of them kids. I bet you none of them kids, if they was in Mississippi, would be getting paddled. Oh, yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, you know, I mean, this is what I'm saying. So it's like, OK, we're raising. I mean. I mean, you know, it's I, I don't I don't know. Well, I, I just I just feel like, yeah, it's when, when I go for the ten pack. No, when I go to the for the ten pack with with four five different, definitely not. But you know, at the same time, I think that you know those those kids very well might get opportunities and resources that a lot of a lot of children that we talked about at the beginning of the show, you know, who might be facing corporal punishment and running wild and everything else, that those children might not. Yeah, that's true. I mean they're listen, those kids ain't gonna be they ain't gonna run for nothing. I mean they might grow up with a few daddy issues along the way. But there's a there's gonna be a lot daddy of daddy issues have them on the pole, man. Man, don't <laughs> listen. It'll be it'll it's gonna be a situation. We'll see. Um, we shall see. Shout out to uh, Nick Cannon and Brittany. Congratulations on your guys's expected new arrival. Nonetheless, um, it seems like there's a lot of love in that. But we got to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the former Louisville detective that finally pled guilty as it relates to the Breonna Taylor case. Stay tuned. 
All right, y'all. Big, big news on the horizon. Not unexpected, but I think the more details that come out in this case are going to continue to be surprising and also heartbreaking. Uh, so former Louisville detective finally pled guilty uh, to federal charges in the Breonna Taylor case. So she was in federal court on Tuesday and she pled guilty to conspiring to falsify an affidavit for a warrant to search Breonna Taylor's home, which ultimately led to her death because the search warrant was falsified. Um, and it, uh, it turned out to be a cover up. You guys, we got a quick clip. We'll play that. We'll come back and we'll talk about it. We start this Tuesday afternoon as we get to four o'clock with developing news in the death of Breonna Taylor. Today from Kentucky, a former Louisville police detective pleading guilty to a federal conspiracy charge. Kelly Goodlett helped falsify the warrant that led to the deadly police raid on Taylor's apartment back in March of 2020. Prosecutors say Goodlett also conspired with another former detective, Joshua Jaynes, to cover it up. Goodlett appeared in a federal court in Louisville this afternoon and admitted to conspiring to falsify that warrant. Taylor was shot to death by officers who knocked down her door while executing that warrant. Goodlett's sentencing is, is scheduled for November Two other officers have also been charged in the FBI's investigation. All right. So those two other officers, you guys, um, have not pleaded guilty. They are scheduled to be in court in October. So but here's what we know. She admitted, Goodlett admitted that she knew that the affidavit in support of the warrant to search Brianna's home was false, misleading and stale. Um, and that's according to the DOJ statement. And secondly, she also admitted that she and the other detectives conspired to obstruct justice by providing that false information um, to investigators after Breonna Taylor was shot and killed. So there's a, it's a two part thing, right? Because they lied to get the, the warrant and then they did the whole cover up operation after the fact. Um, so she was charged. Um, and like I said, she pled guilty. She is looking at five years in prison and a fine up to 250000 She is also going to be a witness for the government. So she plans on telling on her co-conspirators. Yo, let me tell you something, man. This, when, when, when people sit there and they, they, they talk about you know, the, the the system somehow being fair. I mean, you got to think about this, right? So the the Louisville police went there and they, they did this raid. So anytime there's deadly force used, you know, it's another agency that comes in and, and investigates it. Here it might be OPA and a thing called FIT. In other areas, it's a task force. Maybe the sheriff might come in or the state police, which means that, so the Louisville police did the raid. Another police agency or oversight investigated them, right? Mm -hmm. Then from there, because this was so high profile, this went up to the state level. And that Coonan uh, uh, attorney general there in Kentucky was like, oh, you know, they did nothing wrong. Thin, thin blue line and all this kind of stuff and everything else. That'll tell you in the state of Kentucky, how can you have any hopes of finding justice? How can you have any hopes? The, lo the, the, the police department was corrupt. The, the department that investigated it was corrupt. The attorney general was corrupt. And if it wasn't for the FBI, this life would have just gone on. This would have just been like, you know, another tragedy and everything else. I know that there was a civil settlement on it, 
but the system itself is broken. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it wasn't for the FBI, these guys would go there. You know what I'm saying? These officers probably leave Louisville Department and go to another, go to Lexington. You know what I'm saying? Everything else, because the record doesn't follow them or anything else. This, if people ever needed a clear example of how, how broken at times our system is, it's right here. Imagine if the FBI didn't come in. It, life would just go on. Listen, I mean, there's no way for us to wrap our mind around this. And as we learn more, I mean, what we learned is that if you guys can remember, the premise of getting the search warrant was that Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, who wasn't really her boyfriend, right? It was just a dude that she kind of hung out with on occasion was allegedly having mail received to her house, which they said um, was drug affiliated. That was never true. That never happened. And detectives knew that that wasn't true, but said it because they felt that uh, the boyfriend allegedly was there. And here's why I'm doing boyfriend, because Brianna Taylor actually was dating somebody else, a guy that was there at the house who shot at police officers there. So in that sense, I mean, from a woman's aspect, you're kind of thinking about it like, okay, I dated this guy. He never had mail or anything come to my house. It's, you know, she was a 26 year old, very responsible young woman. I mean, I think she was working as an EMT or something. Yeah. She's extremely responsible, (laughs) Um, you know, but she's, you know, young enough to date and young enough to know better. And so she clearly didn't have this long ongoing love romantic relationship with this guy. And they use that very slim relationship Um, to kind of build this narrative in order to get this search warrant. And then subsequently, like you said, oh, you then sent all these task force to come out and shot up her house and killed her um, in, in the aftermath. Not to mention that if I'm a responding officer on this task force, I'm thinking that the detectives have done their job, right? So as a team player, I'm also looking at them like, well, damn, I killed somebody you know, in the line of duty, thinking that this was a hostile situation when really you guys set us up for failure, even though they shouldn't have, there was no warrant for them to just massively shoot up the house. I'm not, I'm not even going to excuse that situation, but if it wasn't such a mass shooting in that capacity, imagine being an officer who fired the shot, you know, and saying, well, damn, we didn't even have a reason to be here. Yeah. uh, This listen. For these guys to go and falsify this warrant and everything else, mm-hmm. believe me, it's not the first time. Exactly. B- believe me. And what, what very well might come out of, of this officer now turning state's evidence or feds working with the feds is we very well might find a like deep seated corruption within the Louisville Police Department. That ain't the first time these people done done that, falsified a warrant, this and that. These are the same kind of cops that are plant dope on you. You see what I'm saying? I mean, because clearly they're they're they have no respect for the actual rule of law. They're like, man, they are the law. And they went in front. If I was the judge, like the judge should be irate. They went in front of the judge. The judge had to swear out the warrant. They went and lied to the judge. Mm-hmm. And for them to go, 
and and falsify this, go in front of a judge and lie to a judge to get the warrant. They've done this time and again. It's a grave, grave disservice to our criminal justice system. And to your point, I think they absolutely need to look into the other cases and other people who have been charged and or convicted from these detectives and 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 pull those case logs, right? If it were me, I'd be and I'm sitting in jail somewhere, I'd be pulling the case log and saying, Hey judge, I need you to look this up because this 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 search warrant wasn't even valid. Um, not to mention all of the other things that could possibly go wrong with corrupt police officers like this. And so we're not saying that everybody's a bad cop, but we're saying this is absolute corruption and more people um, and, and more people within the department need to call a spade a spade at this point. Um, we, we see that, you know, when other police officers speak out against other police officer, it goes bad. But guess what? Do you want to be the, on the other side of Goodlett who's getting ready to tell in a courtroom who's about to snitch on everybody? Because she's getting a deal. Five years and a $250 fine ain't nothing. You know what I'm saying? That's nothing. There was a full life lost in this, not to mention all the lives that got lost in the aftermath of this, right? Um, that continued to spur so much violence and so much, uh, so many riots around our country because of this. And it's, it's, it's toxic. We're living in a poisonous culture um, at the moment with a lot of uh, police not policing themselves not having oversight of themselves. We just saw that video, you guys, that went viral where three police officers took down um, an individual in Arkansas and was violently beating him on the sidewalk. Um, and, and so thank God for cell phone footage um, because that seems to be getting the message out. But I mean, when we're getting in these inside these courtrooms, we have to see justice being done. And if we're not seeing it done to prevent this kind of stuff, right? Getting legal warrant to search people's home, then how do we even, how do we start and how do we finish? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, on the real end, this is when people sit there, like, you have to think about this. This case went to the highest law enforcement office mm -hmm. in the state of Kentucky, the highest law enforcement office. And the attorney general there in Kentucky was like, nah, ain't nothing happening here. Oh, yeah, they, they fired a shot that went into the next person's house. So that might be a crime right there. So it's something, man, I mean, you could only imagine what's going on there in the state of Kentucky. You could only imagine how hard it might be to get justice there. Because on every level, like no one saw any value in, in Brianna's life. No one. And if it wasn't for the FBI, all these guys would still just be chilling on the job. You know, if the feds didn't come in. So you got to think about that. How many times have these guys gotten away because they know all the way to the highest office in their state, there's no real oversight. And not even, and really, it's really the people putting the pressure on a case like this in order to get the feds involved, right? Because if there was not so much outrage, then this would have clearly been covered up and swept under the rug and Breonna Taylor's family would have never been able to get kind of justice in this situation. None of these details, none of these individuals would have been held accountable. So had it not been for this case being so high profile, I don't think the FBI would have ever been involved. Well, I would say this one time for everybody who took to the streets, 
one time for everybody who said her name. You know what I'm saying? Who put pressure all across America and all across the world. You know, because if it wasn't for that, it would just be another day in Louisville. People took to the streets to say her name, to demand justice. And man, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm glad that the feds acted. Me too. All right, y'all. Well, we're going to tie this one up with a bow. Again, justice for Breonna Taylor. We're going to keep you updated as more facts roll in. We're looking at more details coming in the fall. Seems like these other detectives are going to trial in October. So once more details come out, we will keep you updated there. But until then, this is an episode of Clapback Culture. Thank you so much for watching. Amari, when you're not here on Clapback Culture, where can they find you? Man, I'm everywhere like air. You already know. You know what I'm saying? I'm the present. But on social media, you can find me at Omari Saul, O-M-A-R-I-S-A-L, everywhere. All right. And you guys know where you guys can find me right here on Instagram and Twitter at Treasure of J-U-L-E-S. You know what it is. Please pull up and follow me. Let me know what you want to talk about next week. Okay. Until then, have a peaceful weekend. Go out in bliss. It's been real tonight as always. Thank you for showing up. Thank you, Big O, for co-hosting with me. And we'll see you next week. Peace. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.